27th, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. <laughs> so we've been in a series for a while, knowing how, how the Lord would speak to you his will for your life. And uh, we've been you know, encouraging you to pray, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Or show me your will, speak to me, Lord. How, how do we hear it? How cool would it be if the Lord would just speak to you out loud? Hey, Terry, go to work over here. Hey, Terry, marry Lisa. Hey, Terry, you know, clean up your bed. No, he doesn't, I mean, um, clean up your bedroom. The Lord would just speak out. How cool would it be if the, the communications was that simple and that evident? Wow, sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty easy. Have you ever had this happen to you? No, it'd be nice if it would work that way, but so far it hasn't happened that way for me. I haven't heard the Lord out loud. But, but, but there are some other things that we tend to do. Like um, I say to myself, okay, Lord, I'm going to listen to you now. Would you just go ahead and speak to me? And I'm going quiet to my, quiet my spirit. I'm going to shut off the TV. I'm just going to spend a few minutes because I really need to know about this decision. Speak to me, Lord. And I close my eyes and I quiet my soul. And in about 10 seconds, I'm thinking about, wonder what's going to be for dinner. And then in another 20 seconds, I think, you know, my wife sure is cute. And then I think about all these different things. Or I say, okay, God, I'm going to listen now. One, two, three, go. And 10 minutes later, I wake up. Okay, I went to sleep on God. I mean, you know, getting, being able to hear from the Lord it, it's, it's challenging. And then you hear other people say, you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to do this because God told me to, you know? And I know the Lord speaks to us. And, you know, sometimes I hear things from people, and I admit it, sometimes I get skeptical. How do you know you heard that from God? I mean, it sounds good. Sometimes it sounds pretty crazy. That could be a sign that it is from God, or it could be a sign that it's not from God. How do you know that was God that was speaking to you? I mean, People are imperfect. People, you know, by definition, if you're imperfect, you make mistakes, right? So people are imperfect. How do you know it was God? And there's a lot riding on it. You say it was God. Here's the problem with that. I think God does speak to us. He is. He's speaking. He wants you to hear what he says. He doesn't want to just, he doesn't want to speak to you and have you ignore him, you know, like, like we do sometimes to each other. He doesn't, he doesn't want that. So the Lord's speaking to us. How do we know that it's him? And there's this static sometimes. The static, this noise. Um, this, you know, it's, it's just static sometimes. How do you know God's in, you know, what's God and what's the static? How do you know those things? You know, um, my, my father-in-law is kind of a radio guy. I mean, not kind of a guy. He's a radio guy. He's pretty smart and he builds radio systems and he's retired now and uh, he and I were talking this last week about you know the shift from analog radios to digital radios it's kind of like digital tv it comes in packets now rather than this continuous stream of information and it used to be with analog here's how you'll know the difference you turn on an fm station <coughs> or you, you turn on an am station right now and you'll hear the station in there but there's a lot of static in the background that's an analog signal if it's a digital signal it's either there or it's gone. It drops out completely. It's like, so there's this static always in the background. How do you know what's the right station? Sometimes at nighttime, you listen to AM, you get stations from all over the country. It's, it's, it's hard to know. Here's some other things about that, the Lord speaking to us. I think that there could sometimes be some hostile jamming going on. 
Do you know what I mean? That you and I, there's an enemy of our soul that does not want you to hear the signals coming from heaven. And so he will, you know, the Lord might at some point be trying to teach you to really sharpen yourself and to listen. And the Lord might let my, <coughs> excuse me, I should cover him. That. <coughs> the, Lord, the, the Lord might be teaching you to listen to his whisper. In the meantime, hell is over here going, hey, Terry, I think you should go play instead of read your word. You know, I mean, th- there, there could be so much loud static sometimes and hostile jamming. Or then, then sometimes the idea, um, the, the, the idea of that we can put out fleeces. I'm going to come back to that in a minute or two. Anyway, so I want to talk about static versus God's voice for a couple of minutes. There are a couple of types, external and internal, a couple of examples of external static. Sometimes people tend to um, confirm God's voice through circumstances. I mean, I've heard some pretty, 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 pretty wild things. I, I, you know, I've heard, I heard about a guy who... Um, he was convinced he was supposed to marry a certain girl. Why? Well, because they'd been dating for a while and they had a song, their song, right? And the song came on the radio. <laughs> okay? I mean, it's a circumstance. And it did something to his heart and it strummed something. And somehow, I'm supposed to marry her because of this song. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've heard of probably people putting out a fleece. There's a, there's, a, there's a scriptural premise for this. There's a story. So people will say, well, if God wants me to do this, I'll, I'll wait to see if such and such happens. And when such and such happens, they think, okay, that's a confirmation, God's will for me. Can God do that? Yeah, he can. But the, the scriptural story, and I'm not going to spend much time on it now, was simple. A fleece was put out, and in the morning when the dew came, it was supposed to remain dry, and vice versa. It was a two-day deal where you reversed, you had a control, it was a scientific thing, you excluded random chance. I mean, there was a whole lot going on, but I hear people putting out fleeces, and I don't hear the control, and I'm not so sure that the fleece is more than certain. How do you know? Sounds like I'm a little skeptical, and I'm supposed to be the pastor, and I'm supposed to be full of faith, and I am, but the question is, how do you know? That's a legitimate question. The world looks at us like we're crazy when we say we heard things from God, and it's good that we do. But how do we know? Here's another one. Um, we try to search for God's voice through signs. Now, this one causes us some problems, I think. Um, I, <laughs> every once in a while, you'll hear something in the news. And if you Google this, you can see some things that are kind of interesting. Um, you'll hear something about somebody somewhere saw the Lord's face on a tower of water, a water tower, okay? Um, there's a couple of stories that were just in the last short season these are, these are on the internet. You can find stuff like this. Here's a church. Happens to be in Memphis. They're in church service one Sunday morning. Loud bang. The lights dim for a bit. And um, car alarms are going off and power fl- fluttered in the neighborhood. Not just at the church. And when the lights came back on, here's a, a, an image that looks like God up on the ceiling. Now, skeptics say, well, yeah, the, the light coming off the chandeliers is reflecting up there and it's kind of weird. But there's more to the story. Story goes on that a, a girl saw it, says, hey, that looks like God, but nobody else could see it. But if you took a picture of it with a cell phone, then that, that picture, you could see it better. And it's a sign from God. Not sure what the image of the face of God on a ceiling does for people. I'm not sure what it would guide them to do. I, I don't know what to, to make of something like that. It seems unusual. Um, here's another one. There's a man who 
um, in Johnson City, Tennessee. Why are these both Tennessee? Um, <laughs> oh, Johnson, he, he has a pickup truck, an Isuzu pickup truck, and he gets up in the morning and there's condensation on the window, and inside the condensation there looks like an image of the face of Jesus. And it's there day after day after day. His conclusion, it's the face of God, and I'm not going to wash my window. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what those signs mean. I mean, I've heard of the, the a face of Jesus on a slice of pizza. I've heard of a potato chip that looked like God, although nobody really knows what God looked like, so how do you know? I mean, I mean, how do you know these things? Here's one thing about this. This is off the internet. This is from this, um, I think it was an NBC news station affiliate about this first one, the church. They just happened to mention that the church is located at the corner of 6th and Looney. <laughs> now, I don't know why that's relevant to the story, but I think that's the way the world looks at things like these. That's why it made the story. Because the person writing the story is going, you know, here go those crazy Christians again. A little bit loony. And I, I don't know. <clears throat> I just don't know. Can God send signs like that? Well, of course he can. God's not limited from doing miraculous appearances like that. But is that really what we've reduced God to? Is that really what we, what we really think is that God's up in heaven and he says, I got to get a hold of Terry. I think the best way to do this is going to be on a potato chip. I'll make, my, make it look like me and he'll know my will. I mean, so cynical. I'm sorry that I sound so cynical, but have we really reduced God to the point where he has to appear to us in some sort of arcane, unusual way? I don't know. I just don't think so. Um, we also pro- provide our own static. Internal, gener- internally generated static. Here's one. Um, we try to justify our decisions. We say, well, it's God's will. I heard this from God. Here's how I know. If I don't do this, I won't be happy. And I know God wants me to be happy. Really? <laughs> okay. I know he's not a Christian, but God wants me to be happy, so I should go ahead and marry him anyway. I, I've heard those kind of justifications, and I can't tell you, for the number of times I've heard that, Versus the number of times I've sat counseling with someone about their marriage, unequally yoked. There are good reasons why the Lord would not want you to violate his word. And people tend to justify. They say, well, everybody's doing this. Justify, justify, justify. Another kind of internal static in hearing the Lord's uh, voice is we declare our own preferences to be God's preferences and will. We think, okay, well, this is how I feel. So I'm, I'm sure God feels the same way. I'll tell you a story um, a brief one about this couple that Lisa and I were friends with. We're still friends with. We still don't know them. We see them occasionally, like once every five years. We don't see them too often anymore. But they were our friends early on in our marriage. So this is probably 30-plus years ago because we've been married 35 and, uh, 35 and a half years. Love you, honey. <laughs> I do. Atta girl. I'm not supposed to say that to her, atta girl, because she says that's what I say to the dogs. <laughs> um, where was I? I completely lost my mind here. Okay, so this couple, we hadn't been married too awfully long, nor had they, this other couple. And uh, I'm, I need to be discreet as I describe this, but they decided not to um, practice um, safe um, relationship, okay? <laughs> Their conclusion was, God knows how many children we're supposed to have, and we'll only get pregnant when he wants us to have kids, I scratched my head about that because that was a declaration of their will. God already made decisions about that when he hardwired you. 
He hardwired us to produce children if we do certain things. It's the way we are made to, to work for the most part. I mean, f- for them to say, now, they ended up having a lot of kids. Maybe it was the Lord's will. I don't know. But to declare this is his will when it was really their will, I don't know. I, just don't, I, I, I see things like that. Do you think, Terry, that God still speaks? Absolutely. Does he speak out loud to you, Terry? No, haven't had that happen yet. Don't want to exclude the possibility. I don't know if I really would be ready for that. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I will ever be ready for that. I mean, what a treat that would be. But can you imagine? <laughs> um, I don't know if I would ever be ready for that. So since it's not out loud, how do you know, Terry? Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about positioning ourselves to hear God because he does speak to us. You know, the question isn't, does God speak? But I want to re, reframe the question to, have we put ourselves in a position to listen? Because when we put ourselves in a position to, to, to listen, we're going to hear what he's saying to us. really believe that's true. You know, sometimes um, we got too many things going on, and so we're at home, and, and uh, one of us, Lisa, will be trying to talk to me about something, and I will think, well, I can multitask here. And so she's talking, and I've actually gotten up before and actually m- moved out of the room, maybe to the adjoining room, trying to listen, trying to do something else, you know, not thinking about how insensitive it is, and I'm sorry when that happens. I don't mean to do that. Um, I, I shouldn't do it at all. And um, then I come back, and she'll ask me some question about the relating to something about the conversation. Or I'll ask a question that was something that she explained. And then there's this weird moments like you know were you listening to me you know one of those you know what i'm talking about i hear the snickers in the room i know don't come on you do the same anyway so i I, the point was this there were things that were communicated but i was just away i wasn't in a position to hear sometimes that's true about all of us the lord's speaking to us are we in a position to hear here is something that is true about you You want to make good decisions. I don't believe I've ever met anybody who intentionally wanted to make bad decisions. And here's here's another bit of good news. You're not alone in that. Your Heavenly Father wants to help you make good decisions. And you make better decisions in life if you position yourself to listen to what He's saying. If you invite Him into the process, He'll speak to you and he'll show you his plans and his steps for you. So I, I, I want to um, just say that there are three questions that we've been building up to in this series. Um, first, for the first question is, when you make a decision, is it consistent with Scripture and is it biblical? Now, this is a follow-up, especially from week two of the series, where we said that the Lord has th- three categories of his will his sovereign will, his moral will, and his personal will for you. We've determined already that his personal will for you is always going to be found within the first two, his sovereign will and his moral will. His moral will is all over in here. He will never have a personal will for you that violates his word, ever, ever, ever. So the first question is, is your decision consistent with Scripture? You know, if you want to look for a miracle, here's one right here, this. This book, now, I I did a message on this back in the fall, about why we should believe this. And I, I don't want to take time to redo, re, 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 re-preach that. 
But this book has persevered through millennia. Do you realize how many governments, how many kings have tried to stamp this out? How many people have tried to diffuse it, to, to dilute it, to, to just weaken it, to just cause it to drift in? How many times and how many places? And here's the thing. The most current translations that we have, when they're compared against things like Dead Sea, sea Scrolls and other fragments that, that exist, they are in some cases literally word for word the same. After thousands of years, this is a miracle. It's full of life. People who say to you it's full of contradictions don't know it. They haven't studied it. It only is full of contradictions if you don't take time to actually read it, to actually study it. You find that it's perfect and it's complete. It's a miracle. Second question is, is your decision consistent with his thumbprint on you? We talked about Psalm 139 and the things the Lord was doing in you, and we talked about a quiz, and, and I know a lot of you have taken that. <clears throat> is your decision consistent with how he shaped you from the beginning? So then I'm going to spend most of our time today on the third question, and that question is, is going to be introduced to, to us by a character named Rehoboam. He's the son of uh, Solomon, Solomon was the richest, they say, the richest and the wisest man who ever lived. That means he had more money than Bill Gates, and he was smarter than, I don't know, really smart people, okay? He was just very, very wise, very, very rich, and his son, Rehoboam, was becoming king because Solomon had, uh, had passed away. And there's a circumstance that goes on, and Rehoboam starts his, his reign as king with an extremely challenging and important decision to make. And he goes through some processes, and we're going to see what he does, and we're going to find out that he's really a good example of what not to do. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 11. And um, so follow along with me. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Now this is, you've heard of the Million Man March. There's a lot of people that have gathered together to make him king here. So it happened where Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard it. Now, this frustrates me. So we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam is the guy becoming king. Jeroboam, whose name is so similar and unusual to us. It's always confusing. When, when, when this happens to the word of God, I'm thinking, okay, couldn't this have been like Fred and Bob? Um, no disrespect to the Bobs in the room or the Freds, okay? But I mean, two common names that don't sound so similar to us. So I have to keep them, keep them straight. Jeroboam was someone who was at odds with Solomon. The Lord had prophesied some things about him, and he basically was in exile. He'd run off to Egypt to preserve his own life because Solomon was kind of after him. Now, Solomon dies. His son Rehoboam takes, takes the throne, and Jeroboam hears about this. He's in Egypt. So what happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of, our, of your father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me, and the people departed. Now that was a smart thing for him to do. Big decision, a big decision going on here, and he says, You know what, I need some time with this. Good idea when you've got a big decision. Don't rush into it. Take some time. Verse, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. Imagine that. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, 
And he's so wise, he's still got elders. He's still got counselors around him to help him to, to, to be wise. These, these elders are so wise that they counsel Solomon. Okay, Rehoboam's doing a second really smart thing here. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he lived, while he still lived, and said, how do you advise me to answer these people? Good move, Rehoboam, way to go. Verse seven, and they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. So he says, okay, thanks for that. I think I'm gonna talk to my high school buddies. Okay? So now he's talking to his high school buddies. Verse nine, and he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, listen, the yoke which your father put on us, or lighten the, the, the yoke. Verse 10, then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you uh, saying, your father made our, our yoke heavy, but you will make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Literally, it's scorpions. A scourge was like a whip that on the end of it had a sharp, barbed object. So, you know, crack, then pulling, slicing. It's bad. Jesus suffered that on the cross. So he's basically saying, you thought you had it tough before. I'm going to squash you. So he listened to his high school buddies instead of these guys who were so smart that they counseled um, Solomon. And he's basically said, Here's a, give me your eye, I'm sticking my thumb in there. Man. Rehoboam's decision, his dilemma, was who do I listen to? Who am I going to listen to? And he chose and it's important because who he listens to determined his decision. The person that you listen to, the people that you are listening to, is a preview of the future you. Who you listen to, they're a preview of where your decision is heading. Um, I, I, um, I, I do some marriage counseling. I mean, people come in for, they want to talk about their marriage. And... Uh, so I'll get the facts, try to find out the lay of the land. And um, I mean, this is common. And then I'll ask them alone. Hey, wife, who, who are you listening to? Oh, well, I've got my girlfriends who I'm listening to. And it's not unusual. I can think of cases where um, uh, I'll say, well, does the wife or does the girlfriend, do the girlfriends you're talking to, do they have the kind of marriage that you want to emulate? Well, no, but, and then they'll go on into her, tell, but, but here's her story, and they'll explain the reasons why they're listening to this girlfriend. Um, or I'll say to the husband, who are you listening to? The answer is usually no one. <laughs> because guys don't want to process, you know, they don't want to talk to anybody. So the problem with that is that if you're listening to no one, you go nowhere. But when you listen to a couple who have been down the road, maybe they skinned their knees a couple places, maybe their hearts have been broken by each other, but they got up off the ground and their marriage is growing 
and it's a good one, and they're friends, and you're listening to them, now you're positioning yourself in a place where you're listening to someone who can take you someplace positive. And it's so important because who you listen to is a preview of the future you. So question number three, who are you listening to? If you're facing some huge decision in the next three days or three weeks or three months, who are you listening to? If the answer is no one, then your red light should be blinking, you know? If the answer is like, well, my high school buddies, well, then I'm not too sure how the the counsel that you're seeking, how it's going to play out for you. You know, I'm, and are you, are you, okay, so you might be out there saying, you know what, Terry, this is kind of tough. You know, I've got my friends, and I love them, and I've grown up with them. You're being a little bit judgmental, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not really feel like I'm being judgmental. I think this is discernment. I think this is wisdom. Or wisdom. You know, for example, if you're in financial bondage, are you going to listen to another person whose finances are falling apart, or are you going to listen to Dave Ramsey? I mean, where are you gonna, who are you going to listen to is going to determine the, f- the future, your future. Because the people you listen to are the preview of the future you. It's true for you, and it's true for me. It was true for Rehoboam. He had counsel from elders, from godly people, people with experience. He had counsel from high school buddies. It comes down to who you're listening to. Let's, uh, let's keep going reading and in, in, read in verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. The people you listen to are a preview of the future you, and the result is the kingdom cracked. The kingdom cracked in two. And this is where, when you read in the Old Testament, where you read about the two kingdoms, this is where it cracked. This is the place. I mean, I have things in my life that I do well, and, you know, and I have things in my life that I don't do so well. And the truth is that, left to myself, I would drive off the side of the road. I mean, there are, figuratively, there are places where I need to have guardrails in my life. You know, um, Lisa and I had another couple that, um, this is a different couple than I talked about before, who we knew, um, and... Um, uh, they, um, I really looked up to them. We were pretty new Christians at the time. And the wife was a real student of the word. She, she, there were so many times that um, we would get with them. We would be having hamburgers or doing whatever young couples do when they hang out together. And um, I would bring up some question, and she would teach me from the word of God. This woman knew the word of God, and she had a passion about relationship with God. And then one day, out of the blue, the husband announces he's joined the army. I mean, out of the blue. And you could look at, um, you could look at, at, when you looked into her eyes, she was as shocked as we were. There was a child involved in this marriage. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't talk to his wife. He didn't talk to any friends. He just decided, I'm joining the army. <laughs> And you know, when you sign that dotted line, you are joining the army, right? And uh, 
I think we were heartbroken. We didn't understand it. We were just confused. You know, what's the deal here? This is not, seem, doesn't make sense. We were hurt. We were shocked. But watching the, the, the weight upon this marriage of a major decision like this, made independent of husband and wife, it made no sense to us. Here's what, we, what happened. We watched her hanging on for a long time. He was, you know, this was in this area. Well, he obviously went off to was, um, Georgia, I think, someplace, the other part of the country. Uh, where basic is for the army. Is that right, Georgia? Yeah, some of you. Fort Benning, that's where it was. And, um, and um, you know, we'd hear back from him occasionally pretty infrequently because when you go into basic, you don't have a lot of communications with your family and loved ones. And we watched her trying to live her life without her husband who, wasn't, who hadn't participated. Fast forward, the marriage blew up. I, I don't want to paint a cause and effect here for you. It could be that him joining the army was what caused it to blow up. I think dig down a little deeper than that. A relationship where those kinds of major decisions could be made apart from your mate was probably a deeper down issue of fractured foundation. (coughs) But a number of years later, Lisa and I were up at, um, no, I think I was not with you. I think it was with a couple of my buddies. We were up at Seattle International Raceway because I go to the drag races and um, drag races are cool, by the way. You should go to a drag race if you've never been to one. <laughs> and I ran into this girl, this woman. I saw her up there. And I went up to greet her. And she stood this far from me. But she was so loaded, she didn't know who I was. Her eyes were so dilated. And I looked around at the people she was hanging with, and I thought, this is unraveling too fast, too quickly. I think another year or two later, we got this sad news that she had overdosed and died. And um, uh, a couple of years after that, we heard that our other friend had, uh, that he had committed suicide. Now, I'm not saying because he joined the army that <laughs> he committed suicide. There obviously was a lot of static going on there. This couple loved the Lord. And somehow major decisions got made that that the Lord could not have been involved in. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being judgmental. By the way, step out of the, the sermon, the message for just a minute. Suicide is never the answer. It is never the answer. If any of you ever feel like you're there, you need to talk to someone. You need to, to let somebody help you sort through your feelings. Don't ever see that as an answer, okay? It's just not the answer. The point is this. I have some guardrails in my life. I, ca- you know, I can think of one friend in particular who he and I agreed 20 years ago, by word, we're going to be guardrails in each other's lives. Because we have a tendency sometimes, to, you know, the word says that a man does what's right in his own eyes. And in the end, it can lead to destruction. I need people around me to help me not do that. So I've got friends, but of course, the guardrails in my life are my wife my family, my close friends, people who know me and who I know care about me. They're the ones that I have to have my, uh, my ears and my heart open to. You have them in your life, or you should. Now, you know, there are all kinds of circles in my life that I've chosen to, to allow them to speak into my life. You should do the same. You should do the same. You should do it with wisdom, by the way. You don't just let every Tom, Dick, and Harry come along speak into your life. 
they've got to be people that you know care about you, people that are a preview of where you want to go. Because who you listen to is a preview of the future you. So God speaks, and the sun doesn't turn red, and the moon doesn't flash like a beacon, and an angel doesn't stand in front of me with a sword. Although all of those things could happen, I have not experienced them yet, but God does speak. He does speak. And what I'm telling you is all consistent with his, with his, his nature found in the Word of God. It's very consistent. He's given you the miracles. He's given you the Bible full of his sovereign and his moral will. He's given you thumbprints. And if you can't see them, there are ways for you to see them and people around you will confirm what his thumbprint is on, on your life. And if you ask him for people to speak into your life, he will give them to you. He wants them there. And if you position yourself to listen, you're not going to have to guess. You're not going to have to guess on circumstances. You're not going to have to lay out fleeces. You're not going to have to try to interpret signs, potato chips. Instead, you can verify the Lord speaking to you. You know, when you want to verify it, you can just ask yourself the three questions. Is it consistent with the word of God? Is it consistent? Is it consistent with your thumbprint? And what do the trustable, godly people around you say about your decision? Is it in harmony with all those? You know, I have, a, I have an analogy we'll look at and then we're done with, with this for the day. The analogy is a traffic light. I hope that as you make your way around, every time you see one of these, <laughs> you'll remember this moment. Now, this, this might be one of the most overused analogies um, in churches. Maybe, or, or, or metaphor, maybe the, mo- the, the only metaphor that's been used more than this is the Titanic, right? Because the Titanic either is subject to, uh, the subject of something huge or something that's doomed from the beginning because of hubris, okay? But a traffic light, different deal. Stop, caution, go, right? Simple. Am I putting myself in a position to hear from God? So let's just talk about some different examples. Here's one for you. You get an opportunity for a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Once-in-a-lifetime vacation. But you've already maxed out three credit cards. And the only way you can go on this once-in-a-lifetime vacation is to run up another another credit card and put yourself further into debt that you can't already handle. Okay. So you ask yourself the question, is this consistent with Scripture? Well, the answer is no. Red light, but you can run the red light if you want to. Here's another one that may be a little more difficult. If this next one offends you, you can send me an email. My address is eric <laughs> at crossroads four squared. <laughs> By the way, Eric, every time I see you, you have less beard. <laughs> just a comment, just a comment, yeah, so... Yeah, you don't have a mic. I'm, that's true, but you will, so I better be careful. So here's one that's a little bit more difficult. God, should I marry my girlfriend even though she's not a Christian? You know, the scriptural answer to that is obviously no. It says not to be unequally yoked. And we can talk about why you are the exception to the rule. <laughs> why it doesn't apply to you. But God's not vague. He's not vague. And you can run the red light if you choose. But here's the deal. His red light is not meant to restrict you. His red light is meant to protect you. It's an act of love. It's an attempt to keep you in a place of safety, not just for the way you feel today, but how you're going to feel tomorrow in a year and in six years. 
It's not meant to take away your freedom. It's, it's there to protect. Okay, the next example, let's, let's move to a yellow light example. You go through the three questions, and you can't get a yes to all three. You didn't get no. Maybe it's consistent with Scripture, and it's consistent with your thumbprint, but the people close around you are going, I don't know. I just don't know. They can't get, seem to get a piece about it. Well, then what you need to do is you need to slow down. Contrary to popular belief, a yellow light does not mean speed up. Okay? <laughs> you need to slow down, take some time, pray a little bit, give the Lord some time to, to, to marinate and get in there and maybe, maybe something isn't quite ready. Maybe it's yes later. Or maybe you're getting the yellow, yellow light because for some people, you just don't know scriptures as much as you need to. You don't really know how to figure out if something is the Lord's moral will. There are ways, a couple of ways to solve that. One is to get with other people who can help you sort that out and look through the Word of God and study it together. The other one is, is really you need to become proactive and learn the Word of God. You don't have to all get to the place where you can preach, but you all should get to the point where you are comfortable knowing the character of the Lord because you invest your time learning the Word of God. There are ways to do that, and I'm not going to take time on that now. Or maybe you're getting a yellow light because you've got the first two figured, but you're kind of on your own. You really don't have people that you listen to. Or worse yet, your best option for people to listen to isn't a good one because it's still your high school buddies. Nothing wrong with high school buddies. Some high school buddies are really wise and godly. That's not my point. My point is that maybe you don't have that third um, factor. So it's time just to slow down and find those God wants you to listen to because without all three of those yeses in place, you can't possibly make the best decision. You just can't. You just really can't. Okay, so there's a green light example. Let's talk about that one. It's consistent with Scripture. It's consistent with your thumbprint and all of the people around you that you trust and who are godly and wise are going, yeah, boy, this, I see God all over this. That's a green light. So then when you get a green light, does that mean that everything is going to go smoothly? Does that mean that God's got everything all ready to go? Well, you know, I wish I could say yes to that, but that's not the purpose of the green light. The purpose of the green light is to confirm for you that you've done your due diligence to get yourself in the place where you're hearing from the Lord. The point isn't that the Lord is going to say, okay, here's your perfect future all lined out for you. It's to say, you have properly heard from the Lord my will for you, he says. That's the purpose of the green light. It's to let you know that. And, and then your, once you have that skill set, it becomes easier, it becomes repetitive, it becomes your way. So, you know, th- th- this discussion for us is kind of going full circle. We're going to spend a little more time on it again next week and, and close this. But we started out by asking the question, God, what is your will for my life? If you remember way back at the beginning, we said there's a better question to ask. And that question is, God, what should I do with your life that's in me? The hope of glory. When we pursue all three of these questions, we're saying to God, I really want to get myself in alignment with your ways and your will. I really want to be in that place. So the three questions, I want to ask for the team. Three, three questions are, is this consistent with Scripture? Is it consistent with his thumbprint on me? And is it consistent with God, godly and wise counsel? Let's pray. Lord, um, for those in this room or who are listening to this message and maybe there was some point of, of disagreement and now in their mind or maybe their heart, they're arguing with me. 
I just ask God for that to be shifted so that instead the argument isn't with me, but it's with you. Because it's really okay, God. I know it's really okay to struggle with you. That's how you settle us down. That's how you will show us and teach us. So I pray, Lord, where there is anyone who feels like, wow, this is just too hard for me to be constrained this way in making decisions. I pray, Lord, that something of your spirit would begin to resonate and reside. Because, Lord, we know that you want us to make good decisions. You want it more than we do most of the time. And we allow ourselves and we allow outside static to distract us, Lord. And there is an enemy of our souls who wants to jam, who wants to just prevent your voice from being heard. God, protect us from that in the name of Jesus, we pray. I want to thank you, Lord, and say, let us hear your voice. I want to thank you, Lord, for the miracle of the Bible. I want to thank you, Lord, for the thumbprints that are upon us, that there's nobody in this room that's like anybody else. That by sovereign fiat, by your own choice, Lord, you decided how you would make each one of us special, perfect, and unique, completely loved by you, chosen to be this way. Thank you, God, for that. I want to thank you, Lord, for wise and godly counsel that's available to us. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to understand these things and listen to your incredible voice, your incredible wisdom, and your incredible love. And Lord, earlier in the service, during worship, I know you spoke to Eric and you said, Lord, I live my life for you. I want to pray, Lord, where that might have settled into a point where a person made an eternal decision for you. Let it become sealed there. Church, look at me for just a second. If you're a visitor, I want to greet you this morning and say, um, thanks for coming to Crossroads Church. Um, this isn't an advertisement. This is just something I feel prompted to just be sensitive about. You, if you've never been here before, or maybe you've never been in a church quite like this, um, you don't know the words of the songs. You don't know the traditions. You see people putting their hands in the air. You see people doing stuff that you're not used to, at least in church. And I want you to know that our intention here is not to put on a display. It's not to be religious, active, acting in a certain way. The Word of God tells us that to, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And, and people here love God because they found that when they have a relationship with God, they have peace. Their eternity, instead of being a fog, becomes clearer. Things, things that you just don't know about become hope-filled. So when a leader really felt prompted by the Lord to re-sing a verse we had already sung, and the words were, Lord, I live my life for you. If you sensed your heart going pitter-patter and there was something there that's the Holy Spirit working trying to draw you in because the word of God says that there is no way except through Jesus no way and it's an invitation Jesus says he stands at a place he stands at the, at outside of our, our heart where it says he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks and if anybody opens the door he'll come in and that doesn't mean that he takes over your life it just means instead that he'll come into your heart and be your savior and that is the critical question that's the critical question so if the Holy Spirit was speaking to you or is now I just want to pray so we're going to close our eyes again thanks for taking that minute Lord I pray that um, your spirit would just run rampant through this place that not a single soul here would leave without having known the opportunity to open their heart 
I pray, Lord, for salvation in this room today. I pray, Lord, that there would be something powerful and anointed and majestic and miraculous, full of life, full of love. So for those who feel alone, for those in this room who are hearing this message by recording, those who would hear these words and say, that's me, I do feel alone, and yet I need to know God. I pray, Lord, for your spirit just to show right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for that to happen right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.